Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Podcast. Just wanted to give you a quick sort of preface to this next episode. We did this episode a little bit different than we've done episodes in the past. This is a, first of all, it's a long episode, but uh, don't let that deter you. Um, It is an episode that we shot, or shot, we recorded on location at a bar in Williamsburg called Midnight's. Um, so Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and it's we've got five different guests on this podcast, and really what we were trying to do is talk about um, the local bar culture in Williamsburg from the point of view of, of a local bar, like a local neighborhood bar, not a trendy, Williamsburg-y things you see on TV, things you hear about, you know, trust fund hipster bar but like a down-to-earth sort of real bar that people actually go to and spend most of their time at. So we had Brittany, who has been on the podcast before, um, who lives in the neighborhood, and she introduced us to the partners, Raph and Devin and Paul, and we spoke with them about, you know, opening the bar, marketing the bar, uh, creating the bar, just the visualization of, of what this place is supposed to be. And we spoke, then we spoke with Josh, who is the chef there, the chef de cuisine, because the local bar is not just, you know, the sort of old man bar that you get a shot in a beer, although you can get a shot in a beer at this bar, no problem. But it's a bar that actually has really good food and really good atmosphere and desserts, which is something that my local bar never had growing up. Um, so it's a really great episode. We loved it. We had a great time. Thank you for the uh, hospitality, um, Midnight's Brooklyn. And if you guys, any of you listeners ever want to go check out the place, it's a great location, great bar to just sort of hang out in, great food, great atmosphere, great cocktails. It's Midnight's in Brooklyn. They're at uh, 149 North 6th Street, and the website is midnightsbk.com. So without further ado, I'll get to the podcast. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. not a foodie studio which is not a studio and it's actually not on my dining room table anymore we are on location today from midnight's brooklyn midnight's bar in brooklyn it's a not a foodie podcast i'm tom i'm mike and today we have a, a little bit of a change up in format we've got um a lot of stuff a lot today. of stuff going on so we're going to do a couple different segments um we're going to talk today about um williamsburg the williamsburg bar scene the williamsburg sort of local bar um, opening a bar, all of the challenges that come with that, and a whole bunch of other things. So we've got a whole bunch of guests today. Um, but our first guest, whose voice you heard earlier, why don't you introduce yourself, Brittany? Hey, guys. I'm excited to be here. My name's Brittany DiGirolamo, Williamsburg resident for about three years now, maybe a little longer. And uh, we're currently at one of my favorite spots in the hood. Brittany's someone who we've spoken with a bunch of times. She's a veteran. I've known you for like a month now, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we met on my birthday, which was amazing. That's right. At a restaurant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for a little over a month. And you, you're sort of, you've always been around the hospitality scene, hospitality marketing. Yes. And, um, um, in college, I went to FIT here in New York, and I worked for Keith McNally for a few years in some of his restaurants. Mm-hmm. And then I was a maitre d' at Ovoche in Columbus Circle. 
and really delved into the restaurant scene after that. I was director of marketing for a hospitality firm for a while, um, running around 12 restaurants in Manhattan, and yeah, still still in the scene somewhat, but... Great, and you, you we're in Williamsburg right now, we're mm-hmm. at Midnight's Bar. Um, but we're not like in the bar, we're in this really awesome... Uh, <laughs> Garden? Jardin. We're in the yeah. private jardin. Jardin. Yeah. <laughs> heat lamps. And like it's because it's January in New York. <laughs> I feel like I'm like in the Shire. It's, yeah. It's exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so why are we here? Brittany, why don't you tell yes. us why we're here? Yes. Um, so again, like I said, lived in Williamsburg for around three years. This has become one of my favorite neighborhood places to go. Um, I am good friends with Devin, who is part of the ownership team here, and they've always made me feel extremely welcome. And we're going to have um, a whole bunch of folks from uh, Midnight's on here um, on the podcast, uh, on, you know, this episode. So yes. um, you'll get to hear from Devin and Josh and yes. Paul and Raph um, and a whole bunch of others. And this place has evolved, like, since it opened. I mean, I remember when it first opened, I there was this one dish that I literally could not get enough of. It was this Peruvian chicken dish with this amazing green sauce Ooh. and yuca fries. Ooh. I, I mean, still, who doesn't love the P.O.P.O. sauce, I know, right? I know. And I still dream about it to this day, and I always give Devin shit about it because it's not in the menu anymore, but they still have the green sauce, I think. I have to tell you that um, one of my, like, one of my victory moments from being a home chef is when I figured out how to make that green I'm sauce. I'm still figuring out how to make oh, that green man. sauce because literally, like, that's a goal of mine because it's I just have such it's fond just, memories it's of it. It's mayo and cilantro and jalapenos. Is it? It's, it no, it no, tastes no. so much more no, complex no, than no, that, no, though. No, there's it tastes a lot like there's, like, ten it. levels like of flavor. There's cheese. There's, there's a yeah. love. There's, there's, there's so and much And there's special happening. cheese that you should have. And Queso mantecoso. <laughs> and it's awesome and... Honestly, truth be told, I keep like shots of it in my fridge, oh, and I just like I would do I that. sneak it. At I would midnight. do that. Yeah. That's something I would do. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they also have incredible cocktails here. Great deals for happy cocktails. hour. And one of like my favorite, not favorite memories, but the memory I'll always remember is I was here during election night, uh, during the last election, and. We were all like, oh, yeah, like, it's going to be great. And then it wasn't. And they served <laughs> us all with whiskey and, like, just made us feel better. And it was it's just a community bar. And, you know, everyone comes here and Well, And, and that's, that is something that um, that you don't hear a lot of um, in the Williamsburg scene, right? Like, when right. people think about Williamsburg, you think about, you know, bars that open. That super, are, hipster, like, super hipster, like, hipster high-end bars, places. pretentious. Yeah. And, you know, every bar has got to have a hook and, right. you know, a whole big thing. So, like, what... Um, what makes this a neighborhood bar for you? Like, what do you think well, it for me, gives it that heart? Definitely the staff. How I mean, close do you live to here? Um, well, actually, I'm, I live on South 4th Street right now, but I'm moving to Manhattan Avenue, closer to Lilia, obviously. So that's like my favorite restaurant. So we're on North 6th right now. Yeah, we're on North 6th right now. Um, so I'm a few blocks away, and I've always I've always been a few blocks away from here. And, and, and definitely, other than the awesome awesome snacks and cocktails, the, the staff is definitely a big reason why I come. And, I just feel like it's like the watering hole. Like there, there are a bunch of other bars in Williamsburg that have been around for a long time, but um, mm-hmm. I just find myself coming back here. Also, my friends come here a lot. It's just, it's like got a cool name. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm at midnight. It's like sounds way cooler than being somewhere else. Well, <laughs> and honestly, I, I was talking to some friends of mine um, about recording here, and they were like, oh, I love that place. It used to be my neighborhood bar when yeah. I came here, and um, it's something that you know, it's it's interesting because the 
the neighborhood bar conjures up all these images of, um, for me anyway, like old man bars. Yeah, right. like for sure. Total, for you sure. know, you go in, you get a beer and a shot and maybe a burger. Right. And, and that's about it. Like. And you can do that here, yeah. like, if you want. They've just got so much more to offer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my requirements for a neighborhood bar is, you know, beer, whiskey, and a bartender that takes bets or knows how to knows yes. how to find a bookie. Yes. Um, that was always sort of my neighborhood bar. I also feel like a bartender who knows how to, like, console you. Like, I just feel like yeah. I'm coming here when, not necessarily, like, sad, but, like, when you need, like, a moment. And, and I feel like the staff here is just really great. So we recorded an episode. Real hospitality. Real hospitality. Yeah, hospitality. Like, they know when you need attention. Right. <laughs> like, right. Well, we were talking, um, we recorded an episode a while back um, about the Astorian, which is a new bar that yes, opened in where we were last week. Astoria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were just talking about how Mike was saying that um, their former bar, the bar that the, their former, first bar the that first they one, yeah. really opened together, it was called uh, the Station House. And the that's bar still station house. Oh, my gosh. In Williamsburg. Well, no, no this was, this was oh, one in there Queens. Was, there was a station something here in Williamsburg. I forgot. So these, and, you know, we were saying that, you know, you can go to these bars and you can go by yourself mm-hmm. and... You know, you, you know that you're never going to be drinking alone because right. you're there with your with your tribe, right? You're right. there with your with honestly. Your I go. I can tell you, since I moved to Williamsburg, honestly, I started going places alone a lot more frequently mm-hmm. just because I feel like the places in Williamsburg are more open to that. Like in Manhattan, yeah. it's kind of awkward well, when well, you're sitting at a bar alone. I don't feel like that's the case here. Yeah, where I am, I'm. In, I just moved to Harlem, and I yeah. feel like it's the same up there too. Right, because Harlem has a pretty like more exploding restaurants. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I think. I mean. I think the people um, from outside of New York have this misconception of New York. I feel like right. New York, um, they're, they think of, you know, big, bad New York City. It's huge. Right. It's impersonal. New York is a city of neighborhoods. Yes. And uh, you just have to find that neighborhood and you have exactly. to find your crew in, in that particular neighborhood. And uh, and this is your neighborhood, I right? This bar is your set the center of your more. neighborhood. I mean, I lived in, I've lived in New York for 10 years, and the past three have been in Brooklyn. I lived in Manhattan for the first seven. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Manhattan, like, thinking I was going to be the next fucking Carrie Bradshaw. And <laughs> I was never going to live in Brooklyn. I was going to be an island girl I was going to be the next forever. Martin Scorsese, so, yeah, yeah like, I Yeah, like, I literally, like, talked shit about Brooklyn. I was like, I'll never live there. Like, I used to be scared of going to the warehouse parties. And it's, it's crazy how much that perception has changed for me, because... You know, then I worked in the Manhattan restaurant scene all throughout college and, and really got to know that whole scene. And then I just realized, hey, that's not really what makes me feel at home. I don't feel at home here. Mm-hmm. And so moving to Williamsburg, this this place, among many other places in this amazing neighborhood, have really become like my second living room. And now I'm comfortable going to, like Lilia, I go there alone and eat at the bar because I know the bartenders. Mm-hmm. And they make me feel at home there. And that's something I would have never done you know, in Manhattan or in my prior I, years. I don't know if you can get good enough pasta to in Manhattan compared to what you're getting. I there. mean, I'm so partial to that also because I'm Italian <laughs> and super hardcore about pasta. And I mean, last year I went to Bomonti's for my birthday, which is like the, the yeah. oldest old Italian. Old school red sauce old joint. School, yeah. Old school, old yeah. school. And like, it was so funny. I sent out the, uh, the invite to all my girlfriends and they were like, where the fuck are we going? I was like, don't worry, it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Where's uh, Rayos? Rayos? Rayos is up in uh, Harlem. It's up near in your me, neck right? of the woods. Yeah. yeah. Have Come you been on. there? I've, no, I've been Your last name is Moranti. You have to. Don't you have a sixth sense that, you know, finds Rayos? No? <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, besides Lilia, besides here, also uh, Greenpoint, which is like the border of Greenpoint Williamsburg, there's this place called Greenpoint Fish 
which I think these guys get stuff from. I know they supply to other restaurants as well. It's really small. It's like not a very big mm -hmm. restaurant, but it's also a market. Like you can go and buy fish there. And they're just one of my favorite new new places to go. Also go by myself yeah. and eat at the bar. And it's just somewhere that's so welcoming and not pretentious. And you can tell people there really care about what they're doing. Well, what I find just interesting about this neighborhood in, in particular is, I, so I lived on the Lower East Side for years. Um, so like the late 90s, because I'm, I'm old. Mm -hmm. And older, I- Older, older. Old, <laughs> old period. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I would, Every once in a while, I'll just take my bike over the bridge, come yeah. over here, and you know there are four or five places that I can go. My right. sister actually you just came grew up for like uh, I, I came for Lugers. Yeah, Amazing! Um, That's like what used to be the only thing right, here. Right, but yeah. my sister also actually lived like right across the street from the church over here. Um, oh, the North Sixth Street Church. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, a yeah. beautiful building. So and she, well, it wasn't then. Yeah, no, she, <laughs> now it is. Now it's luxury apartments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so so I've seen the change. I mean, I moved out of the Lower East Side uh -huh. ten years ago now. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, no, I am old, full stop. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I saw the change up until that point. Yeah. Like, but you've been here for only a few years comparatively, and right. it's changed Huge. quite a bit, right? Quite a bit, definitely. I mean, when I first moved here, I think it was like the beginning of like the trendy Williamsburg becoming a cool place to live, and I actually think I caught like the tail end of that. Like, <laughs> I was like holding off on it, and I started, I started coming here partying a lot, and I was like, why am I paying forty dollar cab rides twice a night? when I could just live there and walk everywhere because <laughs> I was never going out in Manhattan anymore. I mean, Manhattan has changed drastically since yeah. I moved here. And, you know, it used to have amazing clubs and, like, cool restaurants. I just think it doesn't anymore. And I think it's going through, like... It's going it's through, too like, expensive. It's not that it's just too expensive. I feel like it's going through, like, an awkward, like puberty phase or something where like maybe when a couple like 10 years from now it'll have some kind of renaissance and and it'll be cool again but like right now it just absolutely isn't yeah i mean for <laughs> everything from art to live music to yeah. to everything i mean the that always um th that always thrives on the fringes of, right. of the city totally. right exactly and you know, for a long time, Williamsburg was that fringe. Now it's sort of, it moves out. You know, it, it sure. always yeah, sort of shifts Sand, and changes. Bushwick, Bushwick and Ridgewood. South, South Williamsburg. Yeah. yeah. South, and, South. You know, and then they change the names of the town, <laughs> yeah. of, the, of the areas. Uh, exactly. Oh, they're 100% going to change the name of my neighborhood. To, what, Harlem? To South Harlem. It's going to be like so Soho. Yeah. It's going to be like Soha. Soha. I had a friend that used to live in Spanish percent. Harlem, and we called it Spaha. When, no when she way. Yeah, Spaha. Yeah. Yeah. Spaha. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I can't believe actually I went to Peter Luger for the first time recently, and that has been a Williamsburg staple forever. Well, and you know we love Peter Luger. I know. So podcast. my first episode of your guys that I listened to, you talked about Peter Luger, and I was like, all right, I gotta get to this place. And then my friend took me for my birthday recently. And Just because it's I, like it's there are better restaurant experiences there, are, right. you know. It's but it is we we sort of define it as if you are going to have one. New York restaurant experience. Right. If you're from out of town and you're going to yes. have one, one New York Steakhouse. restaurant experience, I mean, it's, it's literally. I mean, amazing. go to go to Luger's, right? Yeah. Like I've been going there for years and years and years. I can't believe it took me so know, long. Maybe to get there. once or twice a year, but right. I I still go, and it's like it's the most overrated but not overrated. But not restaurant. overrated. It's, it's not like overrated um, the Museum of Natural History. Or like I, the MoMA. You got to do it. <laughs> My friend I went with didn't even like look at the menu he just ordered for the table and i remember eating like my first bite of steak and being like okay i've never had steak before yeah. <laughs> like so what the hell have i been eating well and <laughs> so i think as far as neighborhoods go like you know that was that was always sort of the beacon that brought people totally. in to williamsburg yeah you go over the bridge that's the first that's thing right you there. see you see the huge sign the parking lot it's totally a thing 
Great. Well, and I, and I feel like there are more and more places that are popping up. I, like I think trendy Williamsburg is uh, obviously that you know we're we're not the first people to talk about no. trendy Williamsburg yeah. at all. It's, it's been, happening been happening for ten it's, years, it's fifteen happening. years. Yeah. But like um, I think trendy sort of douchey Williamsburg is is fading and real Williamsburg it's like real, real neighborhood yeah. is sort of coming do you see in Forest Hills now all no. these young couples that oh. like used to live in Williamsburg right in Bushwick, actually no two of my like, friends had well, kids well now we have a kid so let's move to Forest Hills well it used to be yeah you get married you have kids and you move to like Park Slope now Park Slope is just more expensive than anything so they're moving out further into Queens so mm-hmm. yeah my neighborhood is all it's all people my age with young kids right you fit right in yeah I do <laughs> I do but um, I miss this. Like, I miss yeah. living on the Lower East Side. I miss coming out. You know, I still go out around here of all course. the time. But, like, I just miss having a neighborhood. Um, you know? There's a 50-50 chance Tom comes to my housewarming party. Oh, my God. I might be, yeah. I might be there. <laughs> I might be there. We'll also, see. besides just this being obviously up and coming, a lot of restaurants here. I just went to an amazing place. I need to shout him out. Clam Casino Bar on Havermeyer. It just opened, like, two weeks ago. It was awesome. Um... It's like a chef's table place, just 12 mm-hmm. seats around the kitchen. Really simple, but amazing seafood. Um, but also, like, I feel like a lot of people have the courage to open up more creative restaurants here because Williamsburg is such a creative hub. And people who live here do really look for that when they decide where they want to spend their money that night. Like, they're not going to go to a chain restaurant or somewhere that doesn't believe in like local values and supporting local business they're more likely to go spend their dollar somewhere that exemplifies that and that's you know it shows the success of the restaurants in this neighborhood shows that support yeah i mean the the trend in restaurants for a long time has been um you don't need the there, there are enough big glitzy huge totally. places where too like, many of you, them too you many. have to be seen and right. you know so when when the economy crashed you know eight years ago nine years ago those places sort of receded a little bit right totally. you didn't see it. now the, the economy is back and it's stronger than back. ever right. they're starting to come back Even but i think too. that people are sort of yeah they don't want those well, and, like, you know you can have a couple of them but the trend in in business in, right. in the restaurant business is to open up smaller places like this right um i know you mentioned uh Asuka in this neighborhood too right yeah Tell I'm go, me about I'm going that. there in two weeks for i've my heard a great things about it my friends who i was out with last night raved about it it's nordic uh, it's Nordic. They do the the whole um, talk sort of ah. uh, tasting menu thing, cool. and yeah. So I'm I'm very excited. But like, we we've talked about this before. Like, I haven't been blown away by a mega restaurant in New York in a long time. Right. Like, and I and that's that's okay because there's more places that are friendly and warm that right. have really good food. Like, the you know talking about my idea of the old school local pub. Um, that had like really shitty chicken fingers and mozzarella mm. fries and, and that's about it. There's a place for those. Those are great, but mm-hmm. like those places have evolved. Um, yeah. I don't want to use the word gastropub. Like that's sort of old school, but like, yeah. you know, there's, there's an emphasis on food, right? right? There's an emphasis, not just on, um, obviously it's a business. You want to try to make money. Um, you want to sell drinks. You want to, you know, get your, get your revenues up that way. But like there's an emphasis on serving good quality food, because people are more discerning yes. um, with their palates. I was it. at a sandwich place in uh, Midtown yesterday, and they had a chart of where they source everything. I Ooh, saw that. Yeah. That looked it's incredible. Untamed, and literally everything they source, they have what the farm, farm where it came from. from. That's like my favorite thing to look at in restaurants. If they have a board 
that says where they source everything, I, like, geek out over that. And I want to, like, go to those farms. Like, I want to go and be like, so can I get some pork belly? Like, oh, yeah. Like, straight from you guys? I mean, I'm, you know me. I'm like, Mike knows, Mike knows this about me. Like, I, I have a house out on the North Fork, and I love, like, I just go to, like, the, the lamb farmer and be like, I need a, a shoulder. Wait, I want to go grow. Wait, what are you doing in your backyard that we're doing this summer? Oh, I, I do. Um, <laughs> I'm inviting myself to. I do a giant. I have, um like a 36 inch paella pan uh-huh. and i do like a giant paella for like 40 people over a campfire oh my gosh, sounds amazing um, and so i do that like like once a year i used to do a pig roast cool um i'm gonna bring the pig roast back i'm thinking about combining the two being like a pig and paella theme. yes i don't know we'll see, we'll see. but what i like about that is yes exactly what i like about that is that i know where everything comes from yes. so like for those paella i usually do a seafood paella i go to the fish market fish market has two doors they've got a door for the baymen to come in and drop off their catch and then yep. they got a door for the customers to come in Classic. and there's a line coming out both doors you Amazing. know so you sort of know where everything you know is coming from um same thing with the farms and right. farmers and um i like that that is now a trend I think right that's, um, me too you're we'll we'll talk on another episode about More sustainability, about sustainability. And, you know so much to say there sort of what's what has always been what has been wrong with um the way we eat for mm. like you know Ever. decades yeah <laughs> um, a long time but um but yeah no i i understand what you're saying cool yeah i mean this this place is great and and i think one of the one of the things you have to try while you're here today is this cocktail. I know you like whiskey. It's called the Bitter Smoking Truth. It is one of my favorite whiskey cocktails in the hood for sure. Cool. And it's oh. kept me coming back. So I'll make sure that you uh, got to make sure you I try don't that leave without having yes, some of that. Definitely, definitely. Nice. Well, any final thoughts about uh, about Williamsburg, about um, midnights, about anything? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what what comes next to the neighborhood I think it's constantly evolving and and I'm, I'm always one of those people who like writes reviews on Yelp when I like places I'm not one of those people who bashes places on Yelp though because I, I know people have strong feelings about I, that I've I wouldn't, heard I wouldn't I've heard that, that you're an elite I am, Yelp reviewer I am an elite Yelp reviewer and I've been one for almost four years wow. yeah um, so what does it mean does that mean you, you just I like, contribute Yelp a everything? lot of content yeah so the so like the you go to whenever you go someplace you Yelp it you, no you write a review. no that's not true no. I mean I go a lot of places I'd say I Yelp 20% of them oh because um, if I don't like it, I don't need to do anything. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna go on Yelp to bash. I'm always somewhere. said if you don't this have something sucks. nice. To no, say. I'm not. I'm not that kind of person. I think that's bad juju. I if I don't like a place, I just don't say anything. Um, I only go to praise and I mean constructive criticism maybe. Like like at the Clam Casino Bar, I went the other night. They have an amazing orange wine menu. Um, but wow, I was like, actually. yeah, I know. R- Roberta's is the only other place I know that has like a very. Oh wait, I'm obsessed wine. with orange wine. I can give you a list of places that have orange wine. No, uh-huh. but not like one <laughs> or two, like a, like a dedicated right. portion of their wine list. So they have, yes, they had that. They had just opened, so they were like running short on everything. But I, I did tell them, I'm like, you got to get more orange wines in here because it's. I think I, I'm predicting it'll be like the next rosé because I think orange wine is is amazing. Um, but yeah, so like I wrote them a review and, I, and that was like my one critique. I was like, you got to get more orange wines. But like, that's really not a critique. It's more of like, <laughs> it's more of like a hint, a helpful hint, helpful yes, hint. Helpful <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, it was awesome talking to you. Yeah. And awesome. um, coming up next, we're going to have some of the folks from Midnight's um, talk about opening up the place and yeah. the neighborhood and what the bar means. So thanks a lot again Thank for coming guys. on. And we'll, I'm, I look forward to talking to you again soon about other topics. Cool. Yeah. Cool.
And we're back with some of the folks from Midnight's here in Williamsburg. We've got uh, Raffaello, who's one of the owners. And um, Raffaello is a veteran of the restaurant industry, 20 years, run everything from one-star to five-star to 20-star restaurants. And uh, so I think, um, you know, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a story about how uh, Midnight's came to be and sure. how you ended up in Williamsburg. Sure. Uh, my name is Rafaela Van Kooten. I'm one of the owners here at Midnight's. Um, it, the, the tale of Midnight's goes kind of like, I don't know, I want to say like when I was a little kid. You know, I, I grew up in a kitchen with my grandmother and my aunt and my um, mom. They all ran kind of like a charity uh, catering company for my grandmother. Um, wow. And she would deliver stuff to local charities and schools around uh, the island in Trinidad. That's where I grew up. Um, wow. But I, uh, I grew up in her kitchen. I learned to make everything. I learned how to chop, dice, make ice cream. Um, so she was kind of like my hero. Nice. Um, and I feel like I used to play restaurant, you know, in her kitchen. Um, <laughs> I actually had my finger cut off uh, when oh, I was in her kitchen. Um, and so back on by my aunt. Never, never went to uh, a hospital, so I think uh, you know it stuck with me. You know, that's the sign of a restaurateur. Always, right? always like... looking at that scar and just being like, you know, I got to, I got to do something. If I almost had lost my finger, um, I think you know when I moved to New York, it was almost about 15 years now uh, that I moved to New York and watching it evolve from. You know, I think I heard earlier, just like Williamsburg being such a shady place to come to. Yeah. You know, like I, I think I was like at a, a concert, like in a warehouse, like with watching Moby, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like paying 60 bucks to get in to this random warehouse. And then now, you know, you have places like Output that are over there, you know, which is like a legit club. And then looking at uh, Brooklyn Bowl, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quest Loves. Yeah, Quest Loves yeah, doing stuff my, like that. My friend is a server there, and like, she just, Quest Love and like his like entourage know her. Yeah. And that's just her life. <laughs> yeah, now. It's cool, man. I mean, we have actually, we have a pin of Quest Love like in our bar because like somebody came from that show and gave it to us. <laughs> that's but awesome. I think it, it's, you know, what I wanted this restaurant to be. And, you know, I, I, I can take, you know, the, the lead on the fact that like when I wanted to build a restaurant this wasn't what I wanted to do you know we spoke earlier and it was like I came from that cut of cloth like I followed Ferran and and Il Bouilly and like wanted to go there my entire life and wanted to spend you know every dime I had to get there I, you know I was this close to actually going out to Spain and showing up at his door and interning but my dad had other thoughts, you know, as a military guy, he's like, no son of mine is going to be a chef. Right. You know, it wasn't cool to be a chef, you know, back in the early 90s. You know, there was no Bobby Flay. You know, I think Emerald was the only one. Julia Child was still out there. Lydia. You know, yeah. You know, like getting getting the idea of the celebrity chef launching. But that's not why you were doing it back then. You know, you were in kitchens and I, I was a dishwasher. I was a prep cook. You know, you were still getting like sliced by a knife or a plate thrown at you. You know, you can't get away with that today. You know, like <laughs> right. you know, I, I joke with my chef Josh, and it's like these kids have all gone soft. You know, <laughs> um, and everybody comes out of culinary school and they think that they're going to work. You know, and be the next Bobby Flay, and I actually teach at ICE. Also, uh, oh, cool. I'm a guest instructor there, 
and it's funny I like listen to some of these people sometimes and it's like I'm just rolling my eyes in my head like that's not that's not how it's gonna happen yeah you, you gotta pay your dues you gotta have you yeah. gotta have you gotta cut your finger off you yeah. gotta have burns on your forearms yeah. and you gotta know what the smell of burnt hair is exactly and, you know then exactly. you can become a chef yeah. yeah like I'm I'm strictly front of the house yeah um because he's got soft hands. Look at that. He's got very <laughs> yeah, soft yeah, hands. Baby soft hands. I noticed that he wanted to pour my water when I was like, yeah. that's a hospitality guy yeah. right there. Yeah. I mean, so like when I was 16, I started scooping ice cream at a homemade neighborhood ice cream parlor. And then yeah. I got a bachelor's degree in it. So I came back to New York with a bachelor's degree. And everyone's like, that's cool. Have you waited at New York City tables? I was like, no. no. Uh, okay, you could be an intern. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was that was that. I think we all had to like lie our way into the industry. You know, I remember the first real restaurant drive I had was upstate New York before I moved here. It's at a place called Chenna Two Thousand on the water. Beautiful restaurant, Italian. Whereabouts? Uh, it's in Newburgh, down by the oh, waterfront. Yeah. Okay. You know, you could literally take a boat from here and go upstate. Mm-hmm. But like, I lied my way to this guy who was the owner, Rifo. He was one of the owners, and I showed up in a suit, this fake resume. You know, the only thing I'd done <laughs> since then was wash dishes. And he looks me up and down. Literally, it was like, come back tomorrow, wearing all black. And I came back, and the first day, this girl, Vanessa, was training me. She's like, so we're just going to shave some truffles here. And I was like, like, like chocolate? Like, yeah, what's a truffle? I, 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 don't, I don't know what a truffle is, you know? And she, thank God for Vanessa, she, like, covered me the entire time until, like, I learned my way into, like, loving what that cuisine was and, and, and seeing this, like, you know, I think I learned what to do in this restaurant from uh, Rifo's brother uh sully how's bring me he was a he was a albanian guy with a really good sense for italian food as most albanians think that they're italian yeah but <laughs> albanians are the best waiters in new york yeah uh, strictly at steakhouses and absolutely. italian restaurants uh, if you go to a steakhouse or an italian restaurant and you have an albanian waiter you're, yeah. you're in great hands exactly and they're gonna take care of you you know and you better take care of them because they'll let you know um <laughs> But I think I learned it from from him and then, you know, studying um, to want to go, you know, work for Ferran and work it. It'll be like the the understanding that you can't sacrifice quality. You you really can't, you know. And I think I spent 10 years trying to really conceive what I wanted as a restaurant. And while I was working as a server, you know, we talked about uh, Laura Manick, um, you know, Cork Buzz. And I love what she's doing now. But like, you know, I knew her when she was just like a young kid and you know, striving to be the youngest female sommelier in the world. And it was an awesome time to ride that wave. And New York was totally different back then. And, you know, food was still food. It wasn't Instagrammable, you know, like right. I, I don't even have an Instagram account. I'm lucky enough that here at the restaurant, uh, Paul, he does all of our Instagram stuff and I don't have to worry about it, but I know how important it is and I'm not neglecting it by, by in any ways. I'm not, not putting it aside, but Food used to be food. You used to eat your food. Right. You know? We we usually talk about Instagram about like once an episode. Not even yeah. in restaurants. Just like home cooking, anything like shopping, like yeah. literally anything that has to do with food. Like Instagram goes hand in hand. It's yeah, insane. You can't you can't get away from it. And we did a we did an episode a while back about just overrated foods and, that was and our one first of episode. yeah one of the things that that popped up was just. Instagram foods like ramen the, burger, the, like the ramen burger, the um, the the rainbow bagel, and, yeah. you know, How about the shakes that have milk? yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Shakes that have like a piece of cake on top yeah. of them, and like, it's literally a nineteen-year-old girl that loves sugar that created that thing. You know, or, yeah, well, that's what the sugar factory is. Yeah. It's just like a whole business concept is these giant fish bowls that uh, smoke is gonna come out of, and there's gonna be bright colors and candy, and they're gonna get. 200 likes on Instagram from someone with 200 followers yeah. and they're just going to blow up. I was, um, I, I was 
reading an article on Eater, and they were talking about um, their most shared Instagram, and it's um, the video of um, Reclette, the, the, yeah, cheese, the cheese, and, yeah. and how that basically, so basically it's a, it's a wedge of cheese that's, you know, put under a, a broiler or a salamander or something, and then scraped off and put on a burger. So you got this gooey, melty cheese. Um, the amount of demand that that created at that restaurant was insane. It kept that restaurant going, um, yeah. and it still keeps it going. People still go to that, you know, that one place just to see that, you know, they order that burger with the gooey cheese on top of it yeah. because they saw it on Instagram. Yeah. All the reviews for that place are like, the food was okay, but really you're just going there for Instagram likes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, I don't, I don't follow that 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 culture. Like when we, so so growing up, learning that. And mm-hmm. then kind of having to change the idea of it because, you know, I believe that restaurants, bars, whatever it is, you have to be adaptable and you have to change with the times and you have to basically be one part like this is my product, this is my brand. Then the other part of it is how do we flex and adapt to what's going on in our culture right. and around us and that's what really gives you longevity. You know, being somebody who's lived in Williamsburg for the last eight years, I've watched places come and go. and. You know, the thing is, to me, in my mind, is one, they don't really stick to their quality. Two, they, they constantly change their theme and their idea. And then three, they're just refusing to change with the times. And you really can't do that. You know, you, you have to have those things. You have to be willing to say to yourself, I know what my product is, I know what my brand is, but how do I sell that to the current climate? Right. You know, what, what's my current audience? And you can't be stubborn like that. So I think as somebody who's lived here for a long time, I got very frustrated at what was going on in Williamsburg. I think people were just opening the same restaurant over and mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And, you know, my my experience with it, um, I won't say where I went to, but it's a very famous oyster house that does dollars and has really great absinthe down the street from us. Um, <laughs> you know, I walked in there and I was wearing my ball cap and they just opened and I sat at the bar and, you know, the, 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 the way that they looked at me, you know, I was just like, Okay, you're looking at me like I have no idea what I'm doing here, but right. I actually have every single idea what I'm doing here, you know? And I like I ordered a cocktail and oysters was a really bad experience and I was just like I, I just can't believe that this is what's gonna happen to this neighborhood. And that train rode for a little while and now I think it's coming back to where really you have to give that wow factor. You know, something that we do in the restaurant is say like we never say no to people. You know, because I, I hate that when you go to a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, there's one part like, you know, a dish should be a dish, but you should be a little accommodating. Like people, there's people with a lot of things, vegans and whatnots and celiac right. disease, fake celiac disease, whatever. <laughs> but you, oh. you have to like chuckle it off, you know, but yeah. you have to be willing to do it. Like, well, the customer is always right, right? Yeah. And, and I, well, you, you talk about the wow factor and... and you have to give them the wow factor in the food. You can't give them the wow factor in the Instagram, right? No. Like you have to, you have to have a quality product that people that actually, yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. that they take a bite of it and then that's the wow factor, not yeah. just the simple. Like the the Instagram likes are fleeting. Yeah. You know, people will come once for that, but they'll come over and over again. You know, we we had Brittany on earlier and she was talking about how she comes here all the time because the food is just awesome. The cocktails are awesome. It's a great experience, and yeah. I mean that's that's what you have to do. I, I feel like a lot of restaurants. Um, open up with a bang and then fall into mediocrity. They try to stretch the dollar as much as they can. Um, the quality of the food goes down. They got to pay the rent. It's a, and it's a mistake that a lot of restaurants make. And you know, I've never opened a restaurant. 
Uh, like, I, so I, you know, I Just don't know the shame. hardships. <laughs> I, I, I've been around them enough, but yeah. I, but like, I don't know firsthand the hardships of like, you know, having to pay salaries and, and things like that in the, in the hospitality world. And, you know, I understand that corners have to be cut sometimes, but that's sort of the sign of the restaurant like that that is failing is when they have to compromise yeah yeah oh for sure you know hearing hearing you talk about you know the quality of the food and um how you have to have your vision and stick to it that's you know that's a testament to this place yeah like i think when we opened we were really on one end of it and when josh took over the helm he was our cdc for anybody out there that's chef de cuisine um he was our cdc and our executive chef actually had left our executive chef we really wrote hard on him he was like 11 madison like you know mm-hmm. he worked you know at alenia and you know oh, wow. with grant and it was awesome the stuff that he wanted to do and i think it's funny in the back of my mind i looked at josh and he was as our chef de cuisine and i saw what he was doing as a young creative chef and i i wanted i want i was cheering for him you know and right. then like when our chef was was leaving it just made so much sense that Josh would take over the helm, and since he's done that, I think Josh, you know, he's he's a young kid, but he comes from a good background. Arnaud Cotard, you know, learning from Jean George, and then applying it to food that's actually makes sense. That's know? approachable. Yeah, right? like, yeah. Like yeah. you, you look at it, and you know, the first time the kid put up a fish dish for me, I was just like, wow, that's beautiful. You know, it's the same exact dish, but I look at it. And I think that's beautiful. And it's funny, he he got his start with me loving him because I'm a fat kid in heart with desserts and he threw up these desserts. And I was like, I saw on the menu it says um, executive chef Josh yeah. and then it says pastry chef Josh. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. And it's not like, it's not like two desserts. It's like big cakes and like yeah. really cool looking stuff. Yeah, he does some awesome stuff. And I think that's really what happened. It's funny, you know, to go back to what I was talking about before, like within, within some 10 years of time of trying to conceive the restaurant, and then having to change it. I even changed when I met Devin, uh, my business partner, um, which funny enough, I met Paul first, who was a marketing guy. And, you know, I gave him his first job in New York as a bar back at Blue Water Grill. Um, you know, and he, he moved here with hopes to be, you know, the, the next, you know, Gonzo reporter. Like he, he, he wanted to get in the magazines and he's coming up from Hawaii, sleeping on my, my floor. And then I meet Devin and I actually uh, gave him his first job uh, as a bartender here in New York. But I think even when I met those guys, like the restaurant started changing again. You know, it's really how do we adapt because we're all Brooklyn kids. You know, we're like, what do we love? What do we love to eat? I think we're all four different palates from the chef, from Josh to Paul to myself to Devin. We're all four different palates and we come from all different walks of life and nothing goes on the menu, whether it's a drink, whether it's a DJ that we like for the evening or the food until we all agree on it. And that's, I think... So that's what the Beatles did. Did you know that? The Beatles had a one-vote veto? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That, that's, yeah. that's what we do. So we're the Beatles. So, like, just, so, you, guys, yeah. so you should just know that. Just like, say you're bigger than Jesus. successful, like... Yeah, any process, right? And I think it's a process. You know, um, I think (coughs) opening this restaurant and and watching it as it's growing, you know, it's funny because people are people will walk by and they'll 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 look in, you know, and I'll see them look at the menu and they'll walk away, or people come in, they're just blown away by what's going on inside of the restaurant. And I'm often amazed every time I come into the restaurant. There's something new, something that's changing something that's evolving, something that's adapting, and we have to. We couldn't have opened this restaurant five years ago because Williamsburg wasn't ready for it. I heard you guys talk about Aska. Aska came and they had a $600 a person tasting in a garage where now kinfolk 
is, mm-hmm. and they just couldn't survive on that. Nobody wanted that. That idea of that everyone in the restaurant was making something. You were never, you never knew what you were when you were going in that day. You could be the bartender or you could be the cook. That was that kind of their theme, and right. it, it didn't work. It wasn't ready for it yet. And now they're coming back to the neighborhood. They have an a la carte menu, but they also have the tasting menu. And I think. Williamsburg is trying to still hang on to that, like the little bit of a cool factor that it had, but also be progressive and and really be like Manhattan. You know, we're, we're looking at the L train shutting down, and as a business owner, that's it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's you know, but being off the L, I'm like, I think our neighborhood is strong enough to survive that shutdown because mm-hmm. you can get everything here that you can in the city. You know, but yeah. a little better, I think. Well, we were talking earlier about. Um, New York being a, a city of neighborhoods, and I feel like Midtown is the only exception, right? Like, there's really not. Well, I mean, like I knew when I lived on the Lower East Side, I knew like my dry cleaner. I knew, yeah. I you know, I knew the guy at the bodega when the, during the blackout and I, whatever that was, 2006, 2000, 2003. Like the guy at the bodega, like ushered me in the back door when there was a line, and you know, because I we, I was a neighborhood guy and. Um, and Croxley Ells had just opened up on Avenue B, and they invited me in to help drink all their beer before the before it went bad. And you know, yeah. it, it, it's a city of neighborhoods, and it's fun to watch those neighborhoods progress. Um, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. But I feel like um, depending uh, depending on who you talk to in Williamsburg, I feel like it's shifted a lot. Like it's for better, for worse. You know, there there are people who bought really expensive high rise, you know, luxury apartments here that are that got completely screwed um yeah but i think that overall it's sort of shifted back to that you know cool neighborhood vibe where people you know have that sort of community yeah and i i think it's a great combination of a lot of transient people there are now four more hotels here yeah. uh since i've lived oh, wow. here uh you know the willing fail being one of them um, you know, Carmelini, that's his first big endeavor outside yeah. of the city, and it's doing well. You know, when they first opened up, you know, Brooklyn will, will try you. Brooklyn will still test you. It will say, are you really going to add to this community? Are you really going to add to this neighborhood? And if you're not, we don't want anything to do with you. You know, and, and, and literally, the Willowville stuck out like a sore thumb. And we ended up meeting the entire concierge team from there, and they really, like, they're really about integrating into the neighborhood. And I think when we opened this restaurant, the first thing that we did, the first meeting we had is, how do we integrate ourselves into a neighborhood? How do we become part of a neighborhood? We all live here. We should know how to do that. Uh, how, how did you do that? Like, how, what did you... I mean, is it, were there any steps that you took, or was it just sort of... I think it's, it's boots to ground, you know? Yeah. I literally, like, I had a meeting with Paul, and, you know, Paul's, Paul's our marketing guy, and I was like, you literally got to go out there and talk to people, you know? <laughs> he, he went out there, and we had these two-for-one cards, like, hey, we just opened up, come by, you're in the industry. You know, I miss the old school, like, industry takes care of industry, Always. you know? Yep. And, and you don't see that anymore. Like, we went to go borrow, like, literally, like, a cup of sugar the other day at, from someone, and they just, like... <laughs> gave us this look like you know i mean what's more neighborly than that yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it was something like that it was something along the lines of like sure and it's like we walked in this restaurant we're like hey guys we're down the street you know can we borrow this you know we'll return it you know in a in a day and they they were like no i was like cool (laughs) you know like that's insane it's insane you know and the place across the street from us gives us tequila if we need it (laughs) yeah man it's crazy You know, since my the, neighbor gives me tequila too. <laughs> if I need it. It's not a restaurant. It's no. just some crazy dude who gives me tequila. No, and I think since then, you know, we're on North Six, and I think like five restaurants have, have closed since we've been here. But they were from the old old Brooklyn. You know, like 
the old Brooklyn of like the dive bars, and mm-hmm. you know there are still a few dive bars. Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, Cuckoo's Nest, and Lulu's or whatever just closed. But like Rosemary's is still surviving because you still want a Rosemary's in the neighborhood. It will it would break my heart if that place ever closed. You know because I still want that as a, as an industry guy. Mm-hmm. You know I want a place like that to go to. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I want to see them. I mean they've been here for twenty years. You know I never want to see that go away. You know, I think you still have those places in the city, but they're dying very fast because yeah. of the rents and, yeah. and and people just want that again, that Instagrammable idea, and they're not going to those places anymore. You know, like it, it's funny, we're on a shortage right now in our industry of actually getting bussers and runners and servers because everybody wants to make a ton of money, but also there's no one here anymore. You know, like everybody's well, they gone. can't afford to live here yeah, Everybody's anymore, gone yeah. to Houston, they've gone to Portland, they've, they, they've gone to Atlanta, because that's where the jobs are, that's where they can afford to live, you know, and, and we lost, you know, the, the TV movie industry here in New York. You know, I think after Law and Order stopped shooting here, <laughs> you know, and closed, like- That was a mini economy on its yeah, own, yeah. absolutely. You know, I mean, we, we've done some stuff here, and, and the restaurant itself, the facade of it's actually been in a couple of TV shows since we've been here, but it's not like it used to be. It's, it's very tough to find really good people, and I think the reason why this restaurant works is because we didn't hire anyone we didn't know. You know, we didn't hire anyone we didn't lucky. trust. Yeah, we were very, we were very lucky to, to have that ability. You know, we're lucky that, like, Devin and I are here, you know two days I'm a server and two days he's a bartender you know the, the woes of being a restaurant owner you so know today it was my day off yeah. and uh, the lunch bartender was away on vacation for two weeks I thought he came back Monday he hasn't come back till Wednesday so I'd go in on my day off and bartend yeah luckily I just had to make like two dirty martinis <laughs> and it wasn't like it was a Monday lunch it wasn't like a Friday night yeah. but not, uh, but that's that's being a business owner, right? Like it's being a manager, it's being a business owner. So you have to, you know, you have to chip in. I mean, I started, I started in um, doing broadcast production stuff like years ago, right out of college, and it was you know, up until up until I sold one of the companies that I was working for, I was still pulling cables. Like if I needed to, if I needed to run an audio cable someplace, I'd do it. It doesn't matter that you know. You have to. It's yeah. it's all hands on deck. You got to get there's, the job there's, done. There's no day off, and I think. You know, you have two kinds of people that open restaurants. You have people with money that like want to own a restaurant, and then you have somebody that knows how to cook that wants to open a restaurant and they have no idea about money. Um, there's so many hats to wear. You know, uh, you know, Brittany said that she knows Devin and came in here, and Devin was great to her, and you know, my staff is great, but I like I'm the back of the house guy. You know, like <laughs> I'm I'm not the face, and I I would constantly say that even though like I'm on the logo. Like I I worry about all the things that no one else wants to worry about. So that the restaurant can run and I don't understand how people do this by themselves you know hearing people that are solo restaurant owners and having to wear all of those hats and also be on the floor it, it blows my mind um, honestly if our listeners come away from listening to however many podcasts they listen to with with one sort of truth universal truth it's don't open a restaurant oh, unless it. you can like no. unless you are willing to just sacrifice your life for that restaurant I mean yeah. you have to you have to love it and you have to work harder than you ever thought that you were going to have to work. If you've um, never worked in a restaurant before, don't open up a restaurant. Yeah, and, yeah. and it can be <laughs> yeah. it can be the most rewarding thing you Absolutely. know in the world. It's a, a bunch of people sort of coming together with a common idea to build something, and it's great. But like, it is it's not a romantic thing. Like you you can't just retire and say hey, I'm going to open up a restaurant. You yeah. know, like, I think everybody has that idea of like the Peaky Blinders. Like you walk in, you're wearing a suit, you go shake some hands. Yeah, exactly. You have a, a glass of champagne, you leave. That's that's not how that works. 
you know. Um, and we have a very like interesting concept. You know, midnights is is it's two words. You know, like it, it's also it has so many different meanings. But I don't like to actually tell people what the actual meaning is. I just like to let them guess. Um, so I'll, I'll still let our listeners guess. But you know, it, it means a lot to me, and it means a lot to my business partners. Literally, the thing that we created, we wrote down in a coffee shop, and we're like, that's the name. You know, that's what we need to go with. It just rolled off our tongue. Then we actually took a survey on it. We threw it out to a hundred of our friends, and eighty of them came back, and this was the name. And we're like, all right, let's do it. Um, but I think. It's you know a place that's adaptable to anyone. We create the canvas for you, and then you just kind of paint. You know you can have a beer and you can have a burger. And I, I don't like restaurants that don't have burgers. Manana Tavern has, has a burger. We actually get the same exact burger that Manana Tavern Is it has. From Lafrida. Yeah, it's from Lafrida. You know we use all the same products and purveyors that every one of the big restaurants use but better I think you know because we just like we're like look we don't need to charge you 60 bucks for this because we know what it actually cost you know like those guys are charging 60 bucks because you know Keith McNally can do that you know well but um, they have to pay Keith McNally's salary exactly. that's why yeah. you know but we get Balthazar's we use Lobster Place you know we get fresh oysters in every day we get you know Pat Lafitte delivering every other day you know it's like you can do that you can have everything here in this restaurant's organic you know, every, everything wow. comes from a, a, a good farm, you know, and I heard you guys talk about before, you like the idea of like, you know, listing it, but I think that just should be the status quo. Yes. The, the farm and table idea oh, should yep. just be the, the way that it yep. is. The, the best quote I ever heard was like, when I was growing up, farm to table was just called food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what it should be, you know, but Midnight's, when we first opened, it was literally trying to get our business plan to actually come to fruition and be what we wrote on those pages. Um, and then when, you know, Devin and I spent three years before we opened Midnight's actually finding the perfect location. This was the last place that we looked at before we decided to call it quits and go off, open a coffee shop. That's a true story. <laughs> wow. Um, and we were very lucky to get the space and watch the space grow and, and develop. And now when I read my business plan and I look at the space, I actually see it living and it's such an awesome feeling. Do you see it, um, do you see it like sort of word for word or how much is it, has it, have you had to adapt over that? I literally see it word for word. You do, you that's know, awesome. Because when we opened the restaurant, even the food idea was still a little vague. You know, we, it was like literally down to the last two months, you know, when we found uh, our old chef and he was like this is the menu that i want to do and we had a couple of mock menus that we had you know i had some really good friends from 11 madison and gramercy tavern um help me with that menu you know and being somebody who knows back the house who was a cook i was able to do that and and put it together but then he took the menu and made it his own and then it became the restaurant that it no longer became mine it became the restaurants and then the restaurant told us what we needed to put on the menu what we needed to change how we needed to adapt you know, and we have to do that because it's a multi-concept idea, but it just works seamlessly. If we ever had to put more effort to actually make people believe that the restaurant is something, then it wouldn't work. The restaurant just does it by itself. And I think restaurants become, you know, personifications of those ideas and it operates themselves and it actually becomes a living body. Um, and then just kind of start run, running itself. And I think that's where we are now. You know, and it will continue to change, but I think we've gotten off the ground to be able to walk now. Wow. Congratulations on sort of yeah. achieving your your idea, oh, you know, yeah. achieving your goal and, and building something. So uh, any, any last words? Uh, no. I mean, I think that 
Williamsburg, it's going to be an interesting time in the next couple of years. I'm mm -hmm. interested to see what the next decade has to hold. That's how long our lease is. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we can stay with the neighborhood and, and continue to bring back that old school idea of a neighborhood place. Um, and hopefully more places like it open up around us and we can create that community. Awesome. Well, Raf, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thanks for letting Thank us use you your so space. Much. Absolutely. Um, awesome. It was great. Great. Thanks. Thank you. And we're back with Josh, who's the executive chef here at Midnight's. Josh, you know, we, we just heard Raf talk about um, sort of his vision for the place and, you know, how this is a, it's a neighborhood joint, but with an emphasis on like good, approachable, awesome food. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you sort of came to be here and what the, how the menu evolved and how your vision gelled with everybody else's? Um, well, I actually ended up finding about Midnight's here through one of my colleagues. I was um, working over at The Mark by with Pierre Schutz going on John George's restaurant. Ah, okay. And um, I got to know a lot of the staff, got to start going out with people, and uh, met this guy named Chaz, who introduced me to Marcellus Coleman, who was the original chef here at Midnight's. Got to meet him in January, about five months before the restaurant was even open, and he started showing me ideas of what he had. And I was very excited. It was something different. and. I came here from Berkshire County, Mass, a really small area, country, and more of like homestyle cooking. There's no dishes more than $20, so it was like a night and day difference for me coming out here. So it was just a new experience for me, and I was very excited to get forward into my career. So you're, you're like, a, like a legit, classically trained chef. I mean, you know, the names that you're talking about, and I mean, you, you've cooked, um, you come from Berkshire County, Mass, but... Um, you know, you're not making meatloaf dishes. You're, you're, you know, you're elevating that. Yeah, I mean, my grandmother actually owns a pizza bar out in uh, Berkshire oh, County. Awesome. So I used to go down there, help her make those and everything. And when I was old enough, I got a job at a Five Diamond Relay in Chateau called Blantyre in Lennox, Mass. It's all classic French cuisine, and I worked under the chef there for about five years. And it was really, my friend moved out here, and it was like, Brooklyn's awesome, Josh. you got to come out here. He said, this is the new Manhattan. This is... About three and a half years ago, and I was so excited, and I said, "All right, let me give it about a month, and I'll I'll give it a try." And started driving out here for two and a half weeks straight from Massachusetts, about oh, two man. and a half hours wow. a day, and what? I fell in yeah, and two and a half hours here, two and a half hours back, and I fell in love with it though immediately, and I found an immediate apartment, started working at two different restaurants. I was working anywhere between eighty to ninety hours a week, but it was just so I could really get a a grip of what New York City's about and what chefs have to do out here and what the cooks have to do to get known. And um, once I found out about Midnight's opening, I was very excited. I said, oh, this is going to be my chance. Small restaurant, I can get my name out there. And started working hard with Marcellus. Um, open the night, went very smooth. We had friends and family night. and I think it was only supposed to be about 50 people and I think we had over 100 people show up. And, really show what we were going to get into I thought and working here I mean Marcellus had a couple issues come up and had to go unfortunately but I saw what the neighborhood was really embracing and like you guys said earlier looking for something local and friendly to go to and I kind of took in like comfort food what I grew up with like in the Berkshires and like still like being this is Brooklyn not Manhattan people don't want to see a $45 plate a $50 plate on here they still want to be like 25 20, exactly you know you're still paying so much for rent it's so many young people living out here I right. live in Bushwick myself you know and 
you're just struggling. Like sometimes you can go check the check, and you're like, oh, can I go out tonight? Thank wow. you, Brittany. Brittany's Brittany's bringing over small bites as we talk about the menu, <laughs> which is awesome. So, um, Josh, I have a few questions for you. First of all, what is this that Brittany just brought over? Yeah. So Brittany brought over here the tuna poke tostadas. Mm. So working out here, I um, I ended up really getting close with a lot of um, friends from Mexico, Colombia, and everything. So I started taking a lot of Spanish cuisine flavors into. One of my favorite things to eat outside is sushi and everything. Growing up in the country, there wasn't much sushi places, so it was like a new, new broad to me and everything. It's just amazing. So I started combining foods, and this was one of my favorite things I put on this year. So we did uh, cilantro, yuzu, sesame, soy, bean sprouts, and hijiki. And just What's go- hijiki? Hijiki is a nice seaweed and everything. It's, it comes in dehydrated. We'll hydrate it for a couple of days, season it up nice, and then... It's just a nice texture balance for the plate, I find. You know, you, you described this. You described, you know, some of the flavors and, um, you know, what you what you like to cook. What's, I, I have two questions. So what is your favorite thing that you created on the menu? And what's the most popular dish here? The most, they can be the same. <laughs> the most popular dish here, I'd have to say, is the Thai curry mussels. So this is oh. a dish that... All of us, uh, with Marcellus Coleman in the beginning, started working on, and I think it's become probably one of our biggest staple dishes here. I mean, um, coconut milk, Thai curry paste gives it a nice, sweet, spicy balance and everything, mm-hmm. and just get a nice broth. You're usually asking for extra bread, so you can keep dipping into it. Oh, yeah. More of the sauce, I find, than the mussels themselves. Yeah. Uh, favorite dish that I made? I mean, I, I'm humongous in the pastries. If anything, I feel I would have wanted to go farther in my pastry career so far like I always am expanding and reading more and trying to learn more so the Wonder Ball is the first thing I put on here I think that what's the Wonder Ball the Wonder Ball was my creation for Instagram I mean I grew <laughs> up here I'm 25 years old so me too you know Instagram is obviously a huge part of like my cooking career like seeing what chefs do living out in the country there's three nice restaurants in the whole 12 towns in the area mm-hmm. if you want to go to anywhere nice you have to come out here to the city so to see something was instagram for us right you know i i, I always hear the talks and everything like you said you go to this restaurant because you saw it here and it's like well a lot of us come from these small areas and you've never even seen anything like this you're like oh i need to go check this out like so, so what is the wonder ball is it the uh, wonder ball is a chocolate sphere we made we fill it with a uh, gelato whatever i have fresh in the house and everything and then make a nice hot caramel sauce it'll melt on through the middle of it oh so, yeah so is it like a tartufo sort of thing no or? no it's just like tempered chocolate com- completely hollow on the inside and it's oh, filled okay. with ice cream Nice. On the bed, we'll do like cocoa nibs, and I've been doing brittles of like to the season, like pumpkin brittle. We just got rid of with pumpkin gelato on the inside. Yeah, that's something that we talked about a little bit earlier. That um, I mean, Midnight's has um, they, they've got like a legit dessert menu, which you don't see a lot in local joints, right? Um, I'd say most restaurants in general. Yeah, I mean, like it's desserts. it's like you're either known for your you're not usually known for both your food and your dessert, right? And and you're the pastry chef as well. Yes, no, I personally, I like I said, I'm usually looking for a restaurant with desserts on it. I mean, I, I have a very <laughs> bad sweet tooth. I mean, I could eat it all day. Myself and Paul here, always digging in the chocolate and whatever we can find. So nice, Mike. Mike is bringing up the Instagram of the um, the Wonder Ball. And it looks awesome, yeah, and I'm very excited. <laughs> so, 
Brittany is Brittany doesn't work here, but, but Brittany is bringing us food. And so what is, what is this that she just brought us? Brittany brought over here. This is the Brussels Ooh, sprouts. Brussels sprouts. So I smell those. Yeah. This is very hard probably to choose between this and the mussels on our biggest hits a lot of the time. Wow. Do a fried crispy Brussels sprout. Pickled onion. And I was going to say it's pickled onions there and feta. Wow, that's that's awesome. I love the Brussels sprouts. Um, unfortunately, eating and podcasting at the same time is, is, is rough. So I just <laughs> sort of grabbed a quick bite of those Brussels sprouts and they're delicious. Um, Brussels are insane. So how often do you change up the menu? I go as season as I can. I mean, if it's out of season and you can't find it locally, there's no point of having it on the menu, I find. Mm-hmm. I mean, why am I going to pay for something, extra money to be shipped across the country that I can't even find locally? I feel right. like, you know, we were saying earlier with farm to table, like you said, it should automatically be farm to table. Mm-hmm. If you can't find it locally, then it shouldn't be on your menu. You have no idea yeah. where it came from. Maybe it's a he said, she said thing, you know, and that makes me really upset not knowing exactly where your food's coming from. Right, so when you when you source all this stuff, you sort of know the producers and... Yeah, um, I mean, the purveyors, I'm very good friends with the reps, a lot of them. Like I have, I end up just getting to know them over like time mm-hmm. and you just ask them, like, what's the, what's the smallest farm from here? Who gets this amount in? What... When does this come in? And also, growing up in the Berkshires, I got to meet a lot of the like small farmers who go through like D'Artagnan Farms, for example. Like, oh yeah. I knew a couple of the people who like provided for them, and I grew up only two and a half miles away from some of their farms, and it was really mm-hmm. like I found it very easy to find them here in the city. And Are there farmers markets around here? Yeah, I mean, I go to Union Square yeah, in the summertime, the obviously, and then um, I have not had the chance. There is another one here, I believe, down in McCarran's Park in mm-hmm. the summer as well. It's but, a small one. Yeah, it's a lot smaller, so I, um, there's a couple of the guys that I go up there in Union Square. They'll set aside stuff. You can call them two days ahead of time, put them in their little coolers for you, and tip the guys, treat them nice, and... So industry well. takes care of industry, exactly. whether that industry is uh, hospitality or food producers or whatever, right? All right, Josh, well, thanks thanks for coming on, man. Chef, thanks for thank talking you. about this. And we, we look forward to eating tostadas yeah. and Brussels sprouts and everything. So. <laughs> no, thank you so much, guys. I very enjoyed this very much. Awesome. Thanks. All right, so we're back with more of the awesome Midnight's staff, partners, founders, owners. Um, so we've got, we've got Dev. Um, Devin is uh, one of the founding partners, and we have Paul, who is um, also one of the partners who handles more of uh, the marketing side. So I think there are a couple things that we wanted to talk about. I mean, Devin, we were talking earlier just a little bit about um, opening up the place and and sort of what your vision was for the place. And um, just for the brief amount of time that we were talking to you, you were talking about um, how the place evolved, how the vision sort of came to be. Um, and before we started recording, you were talking about just sort of like the, the opening of the, of the bar, opening of the neighborhood, opening of the restaurant, and, and what you did to sort of create that sort of audience for the bar. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I really, I believe in creating a culture, culture around food, a culture around hospitality, culture around cocktails. And one of uh, Paul and my approaches were to kind of get down to the ground level of it. And mm-hmm. It was, it was sending him out into the neighborhood and, and introducing himself to all sorts of businesses from retail to um, finance companies to everything in between and really just inviting him into our doors, one, to see what we were all about and two, to offer, offer our help in, in any way that we could. And so 
and the, the, the great feedback we got was that we were one of the first um, businesses to actually introduce ourselves to, to their companies. And we want to start relationships and because we, we have hundreds of people that come through the doors every day and they ask well, where should we go next or what can we do in this neighborhood and we oh go mm-hmm. see go see gene down at gant go yep. see where should i get a drink in, I, like yeah we just had a really great dinner here and now we just want to go somewhere else yeah. for a drink where do you go after well i have these visions of you walking around with like a sandwich board ringing a bell <laughs> saying you know come to midnight come to midnight yeah <laughs> it's pretty much the equivalent of that you know it's uh but it's 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 something that's really hard for me to do is really to go out there and tr- and be somewhat of a salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's easier to do because you know it is my own business and something I believe in. You right, know, but right. but we also try to make do it in a way that like we're we're very sincere. I mean, we all li- like, I live in the neighborhood. We all do. I've uh, been here ten years. You know, we really like we do want to be a part of the fabric and. When people walk, you know, I'll, I'm here usually early in the day. People walk in, we're not open. I'm like, oh, just go down to Ryder down the street, have a great lunch, you know, like, or go, you know, go, yeah, go to Gantt down the street if you're looking for clothes. Or you're looking, you know, like, well, I always like try to shout out places that I like, regardless of if I know someone there or not, just because I think it's, it's just, it's, it's a kind thing to do. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's being neighborly. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's what we were talking about earlier with borrowing a cup of sugar, you yeah. know. Um, so and how how do you how have you cultivated that? How have you cultivated sort of the, the neighborhood aspect and, and the culture inside uh, Midnight's? Um, one customer at a time. Um, I really I believe in the faith of like being genuine to people. So we have kind of a kind of a motto here, and I I train a lot of the staff. And my two big things are like be nice and be competent. Um, I'll let a lot of other stuff slide. I'll get you pretty far. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, teach you. I'll teach you, you know, steps of service, and that, that will come as we go. But the big thing is, is you wanna, you wanna have these these personalities, and you wanna have people that you can laugh at. They're not laugh at. Sorry, laugh with. And <laughs> 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 that too. Yeah. Um, but but you wanna you wanna create friends, and we we've done a really good job of integrating ourselves into the neighborhood where. I see, I see people come in here three, four, five times a week, which that was a goal at the beginning. That was, that was one of our MOs. And I'm like, they come in through the week, they have maybe a drink here, a little appetizer, one or two, and then on the weekends they sit down, they have a meal. So it's great to be a place that's sought out to have, you know, maybe go there once a month or once a year. But at the end of the day, I want to see your face three or four times a week. I, I, I bridge the gap too where... I become good friends with these people and I and I actually hang out with them outside of work. And so that goes well beyond. I'm like, if this place ever, if anything ever happens to this place and we we end up closing the doors, I still have these genuine friendships outside. And so it's it's not only creating this, this community, but it's also those people are going to speak very highly of us to their friends, to their family, and they're gonna come see us. So I look at it as the big picture instead of being like narrowed in and like, you know, this I, I like the lifetime value of a customer. If you come once and you have a bad experience, that doesn't help me out. Wow, I made maybe 150 bucks or whatever it is. If you come 100 times, then what's the value? And then also the personal value behind that. So that means a lot. Well, and it, one of the things that we were talking about with um, with Ralph was, you know, just getting your hands dirty and, and 
doing but, things and sharing sort of all the work and were you just outside pouring drinks before you came? Oh back yeah, here? I, I, yeah. I, you I, told me to come to the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get behind the sticks a couple of nights a week, and it's it's fun because I still get that that one on one with the people that come in the door. Uh, I kind of have a funny story. It was the the first day we opened. I was wearing a suit, and we you know my parents are in town, and we're all really excited and nervous. And the sink breaks behind the bar, and my best friend who's been in the industry forever is like kind of laughing back there and I get down on my suit and I'm like getting squirted with water and I come out around the corner and he's like that's why you'll be successful he's like I've never seen an owner get down on his hands and knees and literally like put a pipe together <laughs> he's like, and I was like well I hope I hope that's the case yeah. but we're, we're years away from that so in college um, we had to do an internship during like the school year yeah. and I was interning for the dining hall and there was like a spill or something you, you go in a suit when you're a hospitality mm-hmm. major so he gave me a mop and was like, hey, can you clean this up? And I wasn't going to say no, but I was like kind of pissed because I was like on a college budget, like having a mop yeah. in a in a suit. So I told my professor about it. She was like, oh, because you're never going to have to mop in a suit when you like have a real job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Especially yeah. if you have a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And I mop every day. Exactly. <laughs> so, Paul, I mean, we were talking about um, just sort of creating this culture and creating um, – this neighborhood feel where you're, you're getting repeat customers come all the time and you know, you're developing sort of this, this crew, you have developed this crew in the, in the neighborhood. Um, one of the things that we talked about when Brittany was on, we were talking about Yelp reviews. Online reviews are such a big part of the hospitality world right now. Um, and they have been for a while. And they're sort of a double-edged sword, I guess. Like you sort of you have to play ball a little bit. You can't be held hostage by you know bad reviewers and, and things like that. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like just sort of what's been your experience and how how has that sort of affected <laughs> yeah. this whole place? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, kind of piggybacking off of what Devin was going was saying with building with cultivating that uh, that those locals. You know, it's. You know, when someone's in the restaurant and and you're there all the time and you're on hand, you can kind of see when something's going wrong. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you can. And, and you can try to make up for it and be like, hey, you know, is everything okay? Is there something we can do? You know, and, and, and a lot of times something messes up. You're like, hey, you know, like, here's my card. Like, let, let me have you back in. We'll take care of you. Like, uh, we can do better. Well, you know? and you want people to complain about poor yeah, service. Yeah, right? I'd like, rather, you know, you always want to, I'd rather someone uh, complain to my face. Right, like, right, right. Because that way I, there's, like, there's something I can do or, to fix it. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are, people do make mistakes. Like, we have had staff that we, you know, that doesn't work here any longer because, you know, of things that have happened or, or someone just had a bad day, you know, and it, it, everyone's human. But, yeah. Complain before you pay the bill. Yeah, Complain yeah. Before the pay bill. Well, so I mean, like, like, really, like, I mean, this goes to our online, online existence. Back to yeah, the, yeah. the Instagram, yeah. the Yelp thing is that I think it's it's cultivated like this passive aggressive, you know, nature in everyone where they're like, well, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm well, just gonna like. I call it the, the car culture. Like, if yeah. someone cuts me off in my car, I'm gonna, yeah. you know, say fuck you and yell at him and scream at him and blah blah blah. blah. But if someone cuts me in front of me yeah. in line, I'm not gonna say that to him. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 like out loud. Yeah, and that's what that car is like that bubble, right? The, the Yelp reviews are tough. Um, they, you guys, they, I looked you up before. You have four and a half stars. Let's yeah, we do. Fun. I mean, we're we're you know, knock on wood, we're doing we're, we're doing really well with them. And and just like I say, we get a, I get a great review. I'm like awesome, you know, right. like perfect. We, I, I don't even think about it. I get a bad review. And, and the, the worst is a two star review. Uh, yeah, like, uh, like a three paragraph long two star review. Yeah. that someone that like you really and, like. And sometimes we get a bad review, and I and I go through it, and I'm like, okay, like this person is bringing up some valid points. Mm-hmm. And like I come from a, like a pretty professional and corporate. I was in the military. I was in like corporate world, so it was always like 
kowtowing to the customers. Right. Like whatever, you know, or whatever, there's a complaint, like we will make it, you know, fix. And like, but now that, yeah, I'm like a partner in the restaurant and, and you deal with some of these things, like you, there are times where I think you have to push back a little to be honest yeah. and, 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 and Yelp, you know, like I'll be honest with you, like Yelp, they harass us constantly mm-hmm. for advertising, for Wi-Fi, for seating. Like they're a really, really pushy company. Mm-hmm. So it also adds to do you, you know. Do you guys use this thing called Bird's Eye? No. It takes it's an aggregate, so it takes all your reviews from Facebook, Google, mm-hmm. OpenTable, Yelp. And it emails you all of them every day. Mm-hmm. So oh my god, that sounds like hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it goes yeah. it goes one, one of two ball. ways. Like you'll get if you get like one one three ways. If you get like two reviews in an email, they're both like four or five stars. You're like yeah. cool. If you get like three or four or five reviews in one email where they're all really good or all really bad, you're just like yeah. you're like really really happy. You're like what the fuck happened yeah. last night? Well, we're <laughs> lucky that we don't. I don't think we deal with the volume of people or the type of people, for the most part, that want to leave us bad reviews. We're tripping by right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like we, you know, I'll get maybe like a handful a week. Yeah, but you do yeah. you do a great job. At, yeah. <laughs> we we had a meeting once and we we talked about like is it wrong to respond to these reviews? And the overwhelming response was no. Mm-hmm. And so Paul Paul does a great job of reaching back out to them. And if we were out of line, if something did happen, there is an apology yeah. and we, we invite yeah. them back and we yeah. give them our names to ask for. Um, but if it's very outlandish, he's, he's not scared to be like, that's a ridiculous we, review. We had and a, and uh, you can't just take shots at us to take shots. We had a review and it was like, they sat, we, there was a party of like 15 people, 20 people, whatever. So we sat them in the fr- in the front of the very long table and the review was like, they had a whole private room and they didn't give it to us. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, we, you, you could pay for the private room. Yeah, yeah. We weren't the ones stopping you from well, that. Yeah, that's the thing. There, I guess there are, um, there are valid reviews, right? Like Absolutely. there are valid criticisms. Yeah. And, and you know, and thank I, you for your information and thank you. This yeah. is, we're going to work to me. Then there are the ones who are, there are people who, who need to be heard, and then there are people who are trying to, I don't know, blackmail to getting a free burger next time, or I don't know, like or, or just venting. Or yeah. I mean, someone literally compared us. They 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 said we were like the physical manifestation of Donald Trump in the review. <laughs> they they, they what? Said, yeah, no, it's great. You can look it up, and 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 they basically, you know, we we don't do many promos, but we do a couple like neighborhood promos. So we did this thing with like a Brooklyn Guide, and it's like. You know, like it's a, they do a beer book, and it's like you know, for one free draft beer on us, and and it's good. Is so we get to meet people, they get to have a free beer. Mm-hmm. You know, usually they end up staying. You know, hopefully they do, and 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 you know, buying more drinks and food. And uh, these people showed up on New Year's Eve, and they're like, they're like, hey, we want a table for our two free beers, and we're like, <laughs> hey, you know, like they're like, sorry, like we're it's we're like out. we're totally sold out reservations. So they like lost it in the review, and they basically said that like midnight's is everything wrong with like 2017. It midnight's is Trump, you know. And it was like, <laughs> and yeah. What did you respond? My response was just fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's perfect. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was pretty on the nose. So, yeah, uh, absolutely they perfect. So stuff like that, where you just like reaching out to people is, you know, there's a there's someone called us racist once. Um, 
because they got a weak drink, and I was like, I don't like, I don't really know how we would like display our racism by giving you a, free, you know. Plus, if you've seen Raph, you know, just <laughs> like yeah. I, I had a, a server called racist because the table that ordered a whole fish didn't yeah. get their whole fish before the other table got their table side pasta. Yeah. Well, people uh, people throw that word around now. Yeah, for like, uh, yeah. For like and I actually, but I, you know what? I actually reached out to that guy because it did make me feel really bad, and we we have this ongoing. Yelp invite chain where I keep trying to get it back. It still hasn't worked, but you know that was one where I'm like, you know, first of all, things like that, you know, you're best not responding to. You know? Right, right. right. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a, it's a judgment thing. I think, and I think for the most part, you you don't want to respond. You know, like snap back at people. Um, yeah, I mean, know, well, that but, doesn't do good for any. I mean, yeah. if they push you to a certain point, then yeah. you can. There's, and then you can go through. There's, there's, there's a couple that I just yeah. had to respond a little snarkily. About. I, um, but then those I like, adopt the uh, yeah. the roadhouse mentality: be nice until it's time right. to not yeah. be nice. Because I have a yeah, yeah. major <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> but and, yeah, every exactly. couple of months, you'll see a Yelp review go viral from an owner who like loses it. Yeah. So yeah. like, you don't want to be that person either. Yeah. You don't no. want to be the person that Although, says like. That's free yeah, marketing as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, like, some people are like, you know, please give us a one-star review. We'll buy you a drink. You know, there's like people that are trying to use it, Yelp against themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the Yelp and I'm system. like, the thing is, though, it's like, as a tourist or anyone else, you know, I also use reviews. Like, I mm-hmm. look up a place and I look at it and I'm like, okay, this place has a lot of good reviews. You know, I mean, I do try to filter through and see, like, what I'm looking at, but mm-hmm. it's double-edged sword, like you say. Well, it seems like you've done, you guys have done you know a, a really great job um, of sort of keeping that core group of people, attracting new people. Um, you've got you've got customers, you got loyal customers. Britt was on earlier talking about how this is sort of this place has a special place in her heart, and you. and you have a lot of other folks you know just looking at some of the Yelp reviews that this is this is like a local bar and. I don't know what I would ever have done if, like, my local bar had Yelp. I think, I, like, it's just sort of weird, right? It's Yeah. Uh, so the menu changes seasonally. Do the cocktails change seasonally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have we have staples on the food menu and on the, the cocktail menu um, that stay year-round. But we try, to, we try to change at least half the menu. And, you know, I don't think we've – maybe we've repeated one or two just because they went over so well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, we're con- we're constantly trying new things, and it's it's fun. It's like so. We, what spirit moves the most in cocktails? Gin, whiskey, tequila, mezcal. It, it depends on the season. So okay. um, wintertime bourbons, whiskeys um, push a lot. Mezcals in the in the winter because you can do that kind of like yeah, smoky. smoky. Yeah. We add we add a spice factor to it as well, where like people are cold outside and just warms them up. Instantly. I have to say, I have a very, it's it's almost ritualistic when I move from brown liquor to clear liquor. Yeah. You know, it's like Memorial Day, I guess it is. And, no, you know, I'm just saying. Summer gets, summer comes. So. And yeah, summertime you have uh, rum and tequila. They just, it, it just warrants Gin the weather. Gin doesn't really fly here? It does year round. Gin, gin's so universal in in the in the sense that like you can you can use it with herbs, you can use it with berries, you can, it just, you can pull from it all year round yeah. where it stays pretty steady. But okay, you, see cool. these, you see these influxes. Like we, I found it really okay. interesting. So we, we talked with the folks at the Astorian. They have a restaurant in Astoria. They have a restaurant in Forest Hills. You know, talking with you guys, I think someone needs to do a map of, like, spirit consumption by neighborhood. Oh, I think that would be yeah, really awesome to yeah. see, yeah. like, who drinks what where. I, I guess I guess a big one is, um, it is more on the, on the wine side, like, rosé flies out. Like, we have uh, cases and cases mm-hmm. in the summer. And in wintertime, like, it just doesn't move. My, you all, so my restaurant got pushed back like six months yeah. open. So when the 
I the beverage director like wrote a wine list that he showed me, and he was pouring like five rosés by the glass, and it was February. I was like, Zach, that's stupid. We're going to just be sitting on this rosé in February. And then we opened in uh, July, and then I was like, oh, well, now we can't have five (laughs) rosés. So... Uh, but yeah, from the cocktail side, we, we, we have fun with it, and, and I collaborate with uh, Chef Josh a lot. We, we come up with different different recipes for syrups and for we're using a yuzu lemonade right now. Like it's just it's fun, and, and drinking yeah. drinking and eating shouldn't be a chore. And we enjoy trying new things, and we enjoy putting new things on the menu, and the ones that go over real well. And we're not we we stand to our guns, but we also like if something's not doing well. All of a sudden, you'll come in the next week. It's not on the menu, and it's like it's it, awesome. it, that's why that's why it's so great having Paul in house. I'm like, this thing doesn't move. Let's get it off. Let's try 86. Something. 86 done, and he'll print up new menus, and nobody will even notice, and they'll just see a new thing on there, and that's the thing will start flying off the shelf. So, do you do a lot of uh, conception of the cocktails, and it's you yeah, and it's you know, my, Josh, it's, it's myself and Raph, um, and Raph. really really start the top layer and then when we start getting into ingredients that's when that's when Josh comes in just because he has Josh and Rap have more of a culinary background than I do mm-hmm. and so they bring in flavors that maybe I'm not um, necessarily familiar with or chef inspired cocktails chef driven exactly. cocktails like I, I, I look at cocktails from the side of chef driven cocktails but we, but we have fun with, like if you read the name of our cocktails like Raf and I come from a cocktail background and so I actually haven't seen a beverage list from you. I've seen oh, the menu from online but I don't it's a, it's on there is as it? well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just go to the, uh, the cocktails. But, but we want we want to get names. away from the suspenders and the very like pretentious <laughs> bartender, and we wanted There's to no waxed mustaches. No, yeah. we like we we very much like make fun of ourselves. But at the end of the day, the cocktails are really good. But they they are they are hilarious. The names and that's that's awesome. Yeah. What, what are some of the names? Uh, we have White Girl Wasted. Uh, nice. Which is very much cocktail? embodies what it is. So it is. It's like a, a souped-up vodka the, soda the dinner, with an infused strawberry and a fresh lemon, and we we blow. I just redid the website. So much so of it. Good. We um, we have a Selma Hayek, which is like a spicy mezcal cocktail, and, he, and, and we have a Justin Scotch Bieber. bonnet yeah. mezcal. Yeah. Scotch bonnet mezcal. That's, that's like it. That's, I need to drink that. We have, yeah. we have, we have a, Justin, right a Justin Bieber on there. People yeah. are like, why is it Justin Bieber? It comes out like because it's so pretty, baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's also strong. It's yeah. also one of the strongest it's, ones it's on the boozy, menu. So. <laughs> but we, but that's it. It's it's creating cocktails that. One we do we do all the effort on the backside. So if it's if it's batching or it's making these syrups, but nobody wants to wait five minutes for a drink anymore. So mm-hmm. we can my in my response, I'm like it shouldn't take you longer than thirty seconds to make a good cocktail. Mike's, I think Mike's uh, drooling over the cocktail now. <laughs> we, we can get some of them out here for you if you guys want. After the pod, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we do every pod drunk, it'll, it'll just fall into like a weird yeah, no. Niche. Someone's already got the drunk history thing down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, I mean, thanks again for inviting us here. Do you guys have any any final thoughts on the place? I mean, we're we're I, my final thought is that I wish I lived in the neighborhood so this could be my neighborhood bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I our our biggest obstacle coming up is we know there's going to be a lot of changes in the next year when when the L train goes down. And oh, so yeah. we are 
we're more we're excited we're like we think in my head i'm like this is going to become very much a community and people are going to live in williamsburg and the people that that choose to stay i just want to tell them like we're going to bunker down with you and we're going to have a good time and mm-hmm. we will still be putting out good products and you know come see us because we do djs on the weekends you don't need to go to the city yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they have outdoor seating. Yeah. Exactly, all day happy hour on Monday. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's my the local bar is the bar that you go to during the blizzard, right? And yeah, the L shutting down is like the blizzard. You can't really yeah. travel. You just just come here and spend the day. Yeah, we're, yeah. we 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 worked in the city for years, and and that was one of our one of our mos is to be be just as good or not better than the city, and you don't have to venture, you know, fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes. Like it's in front of your face. It's down the block. So. Yeah. Awesome. And you guys are actually here. So oh, every day. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's at least two of us here every day. So, I mean, it's 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 our baby. Well, you guys have to uh, listeners all three or four of you, you all have to come and uh, say <laughs> say hi to Josh, Paul, Jevin, Devin, Rav, every like did I miss anybody? Josh, Brittany Paul, will Devin, probably Rav. be Brittany here. Brittany will be here. Thank you, good guys. Yeah, thank you guys. So, and uh, until next time, I'm Tom. I'm Mike. (laughs) And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.